Hey there, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in the province. Today we're on the air with Alex Brown, who's going to share her journey to becoming a news anchor and how she's breaking stereotypes along the way. Roll the cameras, let's go. This just in, we've reached episode 28 of the What Connects Us podcast, and today we have a guest that's definitely worth tuning into. Today we're featuring someone that has talked to thousands of people before you've even woken up in the morning. We're chatting with Alex Brown, who is a CTV Morning Live host in Saskatoon, and she is one of the most likable people you will ever meet. Alex is joining us remotely from Saskatoon to chat about her journey into broadcasting and how she navigates the pressure cooker of live television and the unorthodox lifestyle that comes with being a morning host. She'll also talk about how she handles the constant stream of criticism that comes her way at all angles, especially some pretty nasty comments about her weight. And we'll chat about how she's able to check that so she can show up with authenticity to spark joy in others. We also have a really powerful conversation about representation that I'm really excited for you to hear. So let's get into it. What connects us to Alex? We're live in three, two, one. Alex Brown, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for asking me. I'm honored. If anybody knew the tech issues that we went through <laughs> in order to make this interview happen over the last half hour, I feel like we are Geek Squad certified now. Truly, for two people that work in some form of technology, that was a major struggle. Like, you've had a full work day already. Correct. Like, yeah. It's and bedtime I have soon. 19 pairs of headphones around me trying <laughs> to figure out which ones work. So, oh, it's just an absolute graveyard of tech around me, too. I have like three different laptops here, but we figured it out. So, we know that we are now not going to get a job at Best Buy anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but you're no stranger to so many people. But tell me a little bit about how you would introduce yourself. So, in a nutshell, who is Alex Brown? Hi, I'm Alex. I'm a Gemini vegetarian. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's what Elle Wood says. So. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone got that. Okay. I recognize um, it. Yeah. So my name's Alex. I'm a Saskatchewan girl born and raised. Um, I absolutely love this province and I am so passionate about it. Um, I come from a family of broadcasters. I love to make people smile, make people laugh and entertain. And I pour my first cup of coffee at three in the morning. Oh my gosh. We're going to get into that. Like I am, I'm a night owl. Like I'm going to bed some nights at three o'clock and I just picture oh you waking gosh. up. Oh. So, Passing ships in the night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Alex growing up and how this really impacted your story. So I was born in Regina, Saskatchewan on June 14th. Okay. So I, like I am actually a Gemini. So it was all <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, yeah, so when I was born, both my parents were already established broadcasters. They had been in radio um, for the duration of their careers. And then they had moved to Regina uh, because my mom got a job at what was then STV and now is Global Regina. Right. And my dad was working. I don't even know what radio station because they all went you know how radio stations are. They go through overhauls, rebrands, name changes. Yep. So he was in morning radio. My mom was on evening news. And I spent a lot of my childhood between news stations. So whether I was, you know, taking my first steps in a newsroom or rolling teleprompter for my mom or spinning around in the studio chairs with my dad, 
Um, I was always being like shuttled back and forth, me and my little brother between newsrooms. And so I really got a taste for performing um, because anytime that anyone would uh, need kids for their story for B-roll. So they're like, oh, we need kids going to school. We need kids on a bus. We need kids brushing their teeth for the story. It would be me and my brother. Awesome. And so we were, my parents were one of the only couples that had kids at that time. A lot of the newsrooms were very young and a lot of people didn't have kids yet. So we were like the token children for everyone's everything. And so our whole family moved to Toronto in 2004. I was 12. It was really difficult. It is a terrible time to move. Like great going into grade seven, everyone has their established group of friends. You're in that like preteen stage and it, you know, but I'm lucky that I'm a very social person and I did make friends pretty easily. And then I got into broadcasting school at Ryerson. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had applied for that in grade 12 and it was a, it was a major toss up between theater or like broadcasting film, something in that, because I love performing and entertaining, but I knew as much as I love musical theater, I knew making it on Broadway was going to be a (laughs) bit more difficult. (laughs) And I wasn't as confident that I could make a career out of it as I could broadcasting. And so I ended up getting into um, Ryerson for radio and television arts did the four-year program, lived in downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, ran wild in the city with yeah. my roommates and classmates. <laughs> and then I, in fourth year, we had our internship and I did mine at CTV Regina because it was one of the places in the country where you are allowed to be on air and you can handle the equipment and it really gives interns like a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I had some ties to that station, you know, I still knew some of the people, um, but the internship process was like anyone else. I still had to interview. There was no uh, special treatment for that, but I definitely felt comfortable and familiar in that building because I had spent so many years there yep. and then got hired on CTV morning live. And ever since then I've been the morning show life. So working on eight years of morning show hosting. So you, you're out of school, you're done your internship and you're starting at um, morning live. Did you do, um, were you a VJ before you did morning live? So when I was an intern, I was VJing, which for those who are interested, that stands for video journalist, which means you go out with the camera by yourself, like no camera person, and you shoot your stories, you edit your stories, you write your stories, you voice your stories. It's all done by you, one woman operation. Mm. And so when I was in the newsroom, um, when I was an intern, that's what they had me doing. So filing stories every day. And I found it... (laughs) incredibly difficult it was Mm -hmm. so much work the camera gear is so heavy and you know you're young and you're just not used to the grind of of work and uh so I really in my last month of my internship I had said to our news director can I please intern on morning live for a time like I just it's so much more my vibe of like personality driven content and fun and sunny And so he said, okay. And so I interned um, on Morning Live for the last month. And at the time, this would have been Molly Thomas, Lindsay Dunn, Carrie Smith, um, Chris Hodges, that crowd of people that were the hosts. And I'm so grateful because they were so great to an intern. They let me on air. I did some, you know, social media segments with Lindsay and I did some uh, live on location segments with Danielle DeGraw and they 
you know, really brought me into the fold. And it wasn't like, just sit here and watch. It was, what do you want to try? And so I really got a taste for the community reporting and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I love the aspect of breaking news. I love going live. I like being out in the community and doing zany things and making people laugh and trying out different things. And I've always not been afraid to be a goofball and make a fool out of myself and poke fun at myself. Like that doesn't bother me in the slightest. And so then after my internship had ended, um, I knew that I would be applying to work on a morning show as opposed to a newsroom because it was just a better fit for me. Yeah. Going back to like a a VJ and like you see a lot of the time when people are showing up to do like a, a spot that Mm -hmm. like when you're watching the news, people just assume you have like four different people behind you telling like you're on this amount of time. Like you are really wearing so many different hats. And I remember you shared on TikTok, like an, like a really tough experience when Mm -hmm. um, like you're alone and you're sometimes going into these really precarious situations and someone actually like jumped into the car with you when you were doing that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I was working in Winnipeg, I was a VJ. And so that was about a year and a half. And I hadn't VJed since I was an intern. So that was like, you know, relearning old skills. But it was fine. Um, Basically, my job in Winnipeg, the title was traffic reporter. But what it really evolved into was um, basically being the breaking news reporter. So every morning, I would load up my vehicle with my gear. And I would be driving around from like 4 a.m. to 9 a.m., and listening to the, you know, police scanners and checking Twitter and um, any tips that would come in from viewers and going out to different accidents or homicides or fires or like anything that came up during morning show hours, that was me to go gather that. Um, And so I saw a lot like I have had my fill of crime reporting let me tell you it was very difficult to you know go out to these scenes by myself um and feel safe all the time now of course I had the support of my news director and my team that if you know safety comes first and right to refuse unsafe work and all that um But I'm also the kind of person who doesn't like to come back to the station empty handed. Like I put a lot of pressure on myself to deliver. There was an incident, the one you're referring to, um, that I made a TikTok about where I was covering a fire. And so the camera was actually inside my vehicle, hanging off the windshield, pointed out the front windshield. And I was in the vehicle with a lav microphone clipped onto my jacket and an earpiece in and a bunch of other gear. And I was reporting live on the air, but the camera wasn't actually on me. It was facing the street Mm. where this road closure was. And while I'm live on the air, this strange man who, you know, I don't want to assume or generalize, but I got the feeling wasn't all there. Mm -hmm. um, Opened my passenger door and got in the vehicle. And I had to... I didn't, I couldn't get out of the vehicle because I was wrapped up in all my cords. Um, so I was on the air trying to tell him to leave and my director is in my ear. They can't see me because the camera's pointed at the street. And so they're trying to ascertain if I'm okay and like get out of there and, you know, we're going to cut away from you. And, you know, so then I ended up driving 
away. He got out. I was fine, but I was very shaken up. Yeah. And I ended up coming back to the station early um, just because I had a massive anxiety attack. Yeah. Um, but those are the kind of situations where you're a VJ and you're out by yourself. Um, anything can happen. I remember doing a stand up outside of a, you know, less desirable part of town. I don't know if that's the word you want to use, but, uh, it was, you know, a very downtown Winnipeg area, um, pitch black. And I had, you know, the giant camera, the giant tripod set up with the light facing me. I'm by myself standing in front, um, waiting to go live on the air. And there's all these men who I don't know, standing just behind the camera, just out of camera view and kind of heckling me and kind of like, you know, why won't you smile? Like what's wrong? But the camera can't see them. And so I'm on my phone trying to ignore what's happening, but I also can't, I don't want to run into the vehicle because the camera gear, like I can't, there's no time to tear it down. Yeah. And I'm also hooked up to everything. And so I think, um, you know, that's an experience that, people vjs still go through all the time yeah that's so scary i can't even imagine what that was like for you but luckily you made it to where where you're really great and and something that you feel a little bit more safe um as a morning live show host and what i love about you and you you touched on this a little bit is like you're not afraid to be self self-deprecating you like i remember when my first time seeing you on the air you were at like a gym I think it was. And you were like trying to lift up weights and things like that. And like, you were never afraid to let your personality like shine through. And I know there'd be a lot of pressure up there, right. To, to be this person that you think that Saskatchewan wants to see, but you've always been able to just let Alex be Alex and it's super likable. So tell me a little bit about not being afraid to be Alex. And when the camera's on there in the back of your mind, you know that there are thousands of people watching How do you let your likability shine through? I don't think I've ever had a moment of stage fright in my entire life. Okay. Like I honestly have been raised in a spotlight, quote unquote. And I'm not saying that in a diva sense. I'm saying that in the sense of having two parents in broadcasting, you were kind of always put on the spot to perform. Like my parents were performing. I would see them turn it on and see like, you know, them more subdued when we were at home and relaxed. Right. And then when we were out in front of people and they would really turn it on, have the broadcasting voices, have, you know, the entertaining, have the comedic timing. And I think because, you know, it is a daunting um, thing for a lot of people to be on camera. And I have loved the camera. Like I, we would make, uh, we had, you know, a camcorder growing up and I would be making movies 24 seven. Like I was in dance, I was in cheerleading, I was in theater, like, any opportunity I had to perform, I was taking it and I was running with it. So it's, it's, uh, it's never been um, anything that I've had to grow into. I'm that character of person with my group of friends as well. Like even off camera, like I'm the one like, you know, trying to make everyone laugh and ham Mm. it up and whatnot, lighten the mood. So um, I just think that life is too short to take yourself so seriously. Yeah. Um, I'm also a very A-type personality, so everything that I do has been highly thought out and planned. Like, a lot of it seems off the cuff, but I have, like, already, I know what I'm going to do pretty much. Or, like, I have an idea and I think it would be funny. 
Um, I did improv in high school and I was awful at it because I kept trying to plan the scenes yeah. and they would be like, you can't, this is improv. And I was like, no, but feed me this one line because yeah. I've got a zinger. <laughs> and they're like, that's not what this is. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm a big planner. And so if I have like an idea for something, like I have no problem being the fool or being the one that, um, everyone laughs at, um, I mean, I think that does like getting serious and getting vulnerable for a minute here. I think that does stem from, you know, being bullied as a child and, and, you know, being called fat my whole life and kids are brutal. They're Mm -hmm. mean. And I think when you've kind of heard it all and you've been made fun of in every way, like now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I've heard like, try me. Like I've heard it all and I, it's not going to hurt me, my friend. Totally. Yeah. Um, so something that would hurt me would be waking up at the hour that you do on a consistent basis. So tell me a little bit about the lifestyle of a morning show host and how you even pull this off. Sure. So this morning I got up at 2.30 a.m. Oh, gosh. Um, alarm, <laughs> alarm went off. Um, I was still laying awake at 1.16, so, you know, wasn't the most rested. Oh. I would say on average, like if I check my Apple Watch, I get between like two and three hours of sleep. And I, it's not for lack of trying. Yeah. Like I, you, Mason, you don't even know the amount of like sleep aids this girl has tried. <laughs> like if there's a sleepy time tea, if there's, <laughs> you know, lavender pillow spray, if there's, you know, a hot water bottle with a weighted blanket like trust me when I say I've tried everything including like um you know no screen time two hours before bed or mm-hmm. um you know no blue light or no like I white noise machines everything, everything. Yeah. it doesn't matter <laughs> because I'm a terrible sleeper yeah. so I've evolved into split sleeping so I don't want anyone out there to be like this girl is nuts <laughs> and running on zero sleep because I do sleep yeah I sleep about three to four hours um, overnight and then I come home in the afternoons and nap for three to four hours. So like I do eventually get my sleep in, but I'll just run you through the, the schedule. So yeah, my, my alarm goes off at two 30 and then two 45 because I like to lay there and, you know, contemplate what I'm doing with my life. Totally. And then I eventually get out of bed and I, I'm a big proponent of packing the night before because I am so forgetful at that hour. Like I'm too sleepy to like critically think. Totally. So a lot of this stuff is done for me. So I literally just have to get out of bed, get changed, hit the road pretty much. So at that hour, um, I have to be at the office for four and in the winter in Saskatchewan, a lot of the roads aren't plowed or anything no. yet. So we're all, we are morning shows and most, this applies to most morning shows I've worked on. There's some sort of group chat. And so everyone's talking about like, okay, who's stuck? Who, who's gotten out? Can you pick up the rest of us? Like my car is dead. Can you go get this person? So we're like, because when these big weather events happen, like people are looking to the news, like we don't get the snow day. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. you have to get there no matter what. You and need like so, a helicopter or something to pick all of truly, you up. Truly, yeah. it would be appreciated <laughs> if, you know, if someone could contribute to that fund. Right. Um, so, yeah, we end up at work at between four and four. Like uh, myself and my co-anchor, they're at four and everyone else kind of comes in around 4.30. And it, I think there's a common misconception that news anchors just get to work get their hair and makeup done professionally and then sit on the desk and read. And that could not be further from the truth, especially in smaller markets or medium markets. 
Um, we write every piece of news that we read. Yeah. And so from the time we get to work, which is 4 a.m. till the time we go on the air, which is 6 a.m., we've got two hours to write three hours of show. And that includes, you know, interviews, news items, stories, um, anything that happened overnight, crime-wise, or anything developing. We have to create graphics for all that. We have anything that changed. You know, a lot of our team goes to bed quite early, and the rest of the world is still operating. So if a guest, you know, emailed at 9 o'clock at night and canceled their spot, most of us were not checking our work emails at the time. So then we're kind of playing catch up. And also in that two hours, we do have to do our own hair and makeup, which a lot of people are are surprised because they thought we had some stylists at the station. This isn't a movie set. (laughs) No, it's all us. And so we all have to get ready. And then at about 5.55, we are all in studio, micing up, putting on our earpieces and just like framing shots and getting ready to go. 6 a.m., we hit the ground running. We broadcast live on the air for three hours straight, which is the longest show at most stations. Most stations are either a half hour or an hour. It is a beast. You might not even be awake for the first hour fully. Even though we all have our coffees, we're still kind of just waking up and reading the scripts for the first time and trying to figure out the pronouncers of certain things. But by seven o'clock, we're ready to run. You're in the pocket. Awesome. And so we're on the air till nine. After we go off the air, we have a morning meeting about how everything went. Um, any mistakes or anything that we want to air grievances about. (laughs) And then uh, we start planning for the next show. So I work till 11 a.m. And basically from the end of the show till I have to go, I'm prepping for the next day. Like I said, I like to work ahead. I like to do as much as I can the day before. Because if you think about it, we're leaving at 11 a.m., and a whole day of news is about to happen till we get back in at 4 a.m. Right. So, like, prepare for everything that you know is going to happen, like mm-hmm. confirmed interviews, because we don't know what is going to happen and what we'll have time for in the totally. morning. Yeah, that's like if anybody has ever worked under a tight deadline at work where they're like, oh, I only have mm-hmm. three hours to get this done. And then you're, you, you get it done. And you're like, OK, that was a hard day. This is your lifestyle every morning. You're in that rush, rush, yeah. rush, rush, rush um, kind of atmosphere. Is that something like you like you really enjoy and you thrive in? I think I've always been the kind of person who I would rather work early and get all the hard stuff done in the first half of the day and then have the rest of the day to myself right. than work then wait to work and work later. Um, Even when I I worked at the Toronto Zoo through high school and university, and I would always volunteer to take the early shifts because then I could go home at three or four and still have the rest of the day. Whereas like some people would say like, oh, I'd much rather work late night because you get to sleep in and then you go to work. And I'm like, yeah, but you're always waiting to go. Oh, yeah. Like, I just want to get it over with. I want to do it Mm -hmm. and come home. And I love this shift because I'm home at 11 a.m. Like some people haven't even gone out of bed at 11 a.m. yet. And I'm already worked eight hours. And now I have the rest of the day. Like you and I are speaking right now at 1.15 in the afternoon on a Monday. And I have the rest of my day. Like, yeah, I'm going to nap. But I also like if I were to go to the gym or run errands or have appointments or go shopping or have lunch with a friend, like I have time for all of that. I think having a 10 to 7 shift or a 9 to 5 would just kill me because totally. I I really do need my 
personal time. Right. Yeah. You utilize the full 24 hours compared to like chopping it yeah. in half. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. is it tricky to manage your mental health when you're um, working at 4 a.m. to noon? And you talk about like this is a lifestyle that you've, you've come to love. Um, but I can't imagine this being something that would be before everybody so especially mm-hmm. jumping into morning the morning show is this something that was tough especially at the beginning to manage your mental health and feeling like a lot of FOMO things you're missing out at night things like that yeah so I think that is something that a lot of people new to morning show struggle with um, because a lot of people starting out are thinking okay I gotta go to bed at 6 p.m I gotta go to bed at 7 p.m and I'm gonna get my full eight hours and when I first was starting out that was me too and everyone knew that you know Alex is done after seven, like, do not call her, do not text her. She will not be awake. And I definitely struggled with the personal life. And especially it would be difficult with the amount of hosting and emceeing that we're required to do. um, Those events start at seven. Right. And so there would be times where I'd be up till nine and nine 30 and I would be absolutely wrecked the next morning. Like I could not stay up till nine. It was just impossible Um, and so, yeah, definitely in my early years, it was difficult because, you know, the rest of the world gets off at five or six and, you know, I want to go to a matinee movie and no one wants to join me. (laughs) So I think in the last few years, um, split sleeping for me works a lot better because I can stay up later. I can go to dinner. I can go to an event. Don't get me wrong. I still like coming home early. I'm still a big proponent of like being on the couch by 9 PM and right. like watching Netflix. Yeah. Um, but in terms of that FOMO, like I think split sleeping works a lot better for still having a personal life. Yeah. And on the weekends, I ruin my schedule every single weekend because I sleep in and you know, totally. I, I have a normal schedule. I know yeah. a lot of morning show people try to keep their schedule on the weekend, but as a single person, what am I going to do? Sit in my house at three <laughs> in the morning in the dark, like just to say I did right. like, no. Yeah. Um, so I wake up at a normal time on the weekends. Um, but yeah, I think it is when you are so sleep deprived and you're exhausted, I think it it is trying on a lot of people's mental health. And I think having that sleeplessness and that exhaustion can really, um, contribute to anxiety and depression and, you know, just sleep deprivation is never good for your mental health. And yeah. I think when people are, especially in weeks where I don't get my afternoon nap, where say I'm so busy with events or whatever, um, I find it really difficult. I feel very, very burnt out. Totally. Um, but I am lucky that through um, therapy and medication and like having a really solid support system that I my mental health has never been better than it has being here in Saskatoon. And I have a good sleep schedule. I have a good workout schedule and nutrition plan. And it really, you have to pay attention to all those sorts of pieces of the puzzle when you work the hours I do. Totally. Yeah. It's like every year during like high school, when you'd have those two weeks off during Christmas time or like your summer vacation, like I'm a natural night owl. So my bedtime would get later and later and later as we went. And the moment I lost my structure, and I still do if I have like two weeks off work or something, my structure kind of collapses and my bedtimes Mm -hmm. get really strange. But without that routine or structure, I feel like my mental health takes a hit because you're kind of all over the place in terms of what you're doing the day. You're missing breakfasts and things like that. So that's awesome that you have that in place in order to protect, um, protect your mental health as you 
as you navigate mm-hmm. these these interesting hours. So let's talk about as um, a personality in the community, like on air that you're representing CTV, but also representing yourself. I find that you strike a really nice balance between showing up as your authentic self as a newscaster and a public figure, um, but also an advocate as well. So do you feel any pressure to to err on the side of caution in case there is any blowback on you or CTV while still balancing how you authentically want to advocate for different causes that you're passionate about? Mm-hmm. I think totally. I think um, at the end of the day, I always have to keep in mind that I am a journalist um, and that means being unbiased and that means um, reporting both sides and my opinion doesn't matter. It's about the facts And I am a very opinionated person. I'm a very passionate person. Um, I have a lot of causes that are near and dear to my heart um, that I really care about. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, people look to me to have ethics and, you know, journalistic standards. And that's not my role um, in the position I'm in to, you know, be on a soapbox and, and have an opinion and, and make one group of people, you know, shout out and one group of people put down. That's not, um, what journalism is about. And those wouldn't be, um, good journalistic practices to have. Um, I do feel that, um, I love social media. Like I have always loved it. I grew up in the age I'm turning 30 this year. So I grew up in the age of, you know, when the internet was up and coming and I've always been, you know, I had the MySpace, I had the yeah. Pixo websites, I've MSN, <laughs> I love social media. Yeah. Um, and so I love to post on social media. Of course, I have two Instagrams, two Facebooks, two Twitters. Yeah. Um, only one TikTok though, okay. because that's the job in itself. But um, <laughs> I love, cre- I've always loved creating content and, you know, making YouTube videos from the time I could upload them. Um, and so, um, that is also something that you have to be cognizant of because, you know, my dad came from an era of broadcasting where social media wasn't a thing and he has seen so many careers go down in flames because of things posted on social media or things taken out of context or things from the past that are brought to the future. And so my dad is always like, he always says to me, like, you know, just be careful because, you know, you don't get paid to do it and you, it could ruin your life. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so true. Cause as much as I love it and I like put my life out there and I have, you know, CTV affiliated with a lot of my social media accounts at the end of the day, I would never want to lose my job over something silly or ridiculous, right. you know? So there is that fine line of staying professional, representing the company that I work for, um, And also, you know, just being proud of the things I post. I never want to look back and be, you know, disappointed in myself or embarrassed of something that I did on social media. I mean, I'm just lucky that no one can see those 2006, 2007 Facebook statuses. The worst. Yeah. Why was I I this passionate about the writers at 2006? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Mason, literally today I went back to 2006 on my timeline and I was like, go writers. Who was I? And I that's mean, I know wh- who I was. I was a Saskatchewan girl, but relax. Yeah. And that's when is was a part of Facebook. So it's like, yes. like Mason Gardner is. Let's go, writers! Like that doesn't even make grammatical sense, Mason. Oh. 
Oh, I know, me too. I'm like, let's go, boys. Yeah. Like, you don't know any of the fights. <laughs> enough. Oh. Yeah, yeah so obviously I'm not posting that kind of stuff on my CTV <laughs> accounts. Right. No one needs that. Totally. But totally. I will draw attention. Like, I have no problem, from, like, putting up community events or, you know, mo- like, um, you know, different things that we're working on or interviews that I've done or causes I'm passionate about. Like, I am still an advocate for, you know, mental health or body positivity or... Yep. You know, the the 2SLGBTQ plus community, like these are all things that are foundational to who I am as a person. And I'm not ever going to not speak out on things like that. So, I mean, that for me is, yeah, awesome. I'm always going to post about it. Awesome. So kind of dovetailing into that, part of the reason this is such an intimidating career and we've talked about this is just you're opening up yourself to criticism constantly Mm -hmm. and you're... You're very transparent about the negativity you receive as a newscaster. We've even talked about it here in this in interview a little bit. But how does this feedback impact you and how do you navigate it? So I think um, for me, I mean, having negative viewer comments was a dinner table conversation for me growing up. I mean, both my parents had to navigate uh, viewer mail and viewer phone calls and viewer email when email came around. And so I, I constantly grew up at the dinner table where, um, it would be discussed like, Oh, this person wrote in and said this about me or this comment about my body or my face and whatnot. And, um, so I, you know, I, it became, I became so desensitized to it having grown up with it about, um, these comments, these unsolicited comments coming in. Right. Um, and so I developed a very thick skin between that and growing up, you know, bullied on the playground. Um, I'm a very sensitive person by nature, but I think I just developed this really thick skin, um, due to my surroundings and circumstances. And, uh, I think also growing up in the era of the internet, like you are, ripe for online cyberbullying like especially at the age that we were like you know msn was a breeding ground for cyberbullying and myspace and all of that and so i kind of lived through that era and so i i i always know in the back of my head that it says more about the person writing it than it does about me it did take me a long time to get to a place where i loved me Mm -hmm. and that i was in a position where I felt confident that um, I wouldn't be dwelling on the comments, even though I could brush them off. Sometimes I would still think about them. And there are, you know, comments every now and again that are very personal and those ones hurt me. Um, For example, I received, uh, the station received an email uh, last two years ago, I think maybe now. um, And it was saying that, uh, that I was clearly a hundred pounds overweight and that I was setting a bad example for young women Mm. everywhere. And that hurt me. It went into, it was, I mean, a long rambling email, um, but it went to every single person personally on our morning show team, which was mortifying. Um, But it also normally something like that wouldn't bother me, but the, the, I don't, being called fat and overweight does not bother me in the slightest anymore. But the being a bad example mm-hmm. really hurt me because I am doing a large part of what I do because when I was growing up, there was no one that looked like me on television. There was no plus size women. 
curvy women or men. Like everyone really looked this cookie cutter archetype of the news anchor personality right. with the blonde bobs and the very tiny, um, perfect white teeth, everything, yep. you know, and everyone looked this one way. Um, and so n- now entering this business myself and hearing from women and girls um, that it means something to them to have myself, a plus size woman on mainstream media and that having representation means something to them. It means something to me that it means something to them. And so hearing from someone unsolicited that that my looks are just alone setting a bad example, that really cut me to the core because that's everything that I is the opposite of what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's understandable. And like you said, representation is so important. And if you are taking so much pride in, in being a, a fierce example for somebody watching to showcase that it's a safe place for, for you. So you can have those dreams. It makes sense why something like a a way something is worded could cut. Um, So if you have any advice for anyone in a position where they are constantly receiving feedback, whether that's like on the air or in their job, if there's like part of their coaching model where they're receiving constant feedback, how do you navigate that feedback loop to make sure that you're receiving things in a constructive way or you're, you're brushing off any of the haters or whatever you want to say so that it doesn't mm-hmm. really impact your personal mental health? I think you always have to sort criticism into the column of, is this constructive criticism? Like, is this designed to help me? So is it criticism like you're talking too fast? Because that is, even if they verbalized it in a way with like, if they put, you know, a mean word ahead of it, but the the root of the comment is that I'm talking too fast for someone to understand. At the end of the day, no matter how they worded it, that's a constructive criticism for me that, oh, I should be cognizant that someone out there needs me to slow down. So, but there's also the other column of of criticism that's just mean-spirited. There's no foundation in it. Um, I always abide by the rule. If someone can't fix it in five minutes, it's not worth pointing out. So yeah. if someone has something in their teeth or something, you know, a hair out of place, I'll point it out. But if it's something like, oh, your skin's really bad, no one can fix that in five minutes. You right. know, I, I, I make it a rule because I don't think it's um, helpful to me when people point out appearance based things on me, whether it's like weight loss, weight gain, um, I don't point it out on other people. I don't compliment it. I don't criticize it. I don't think it's helpful. Um, I think there's so many other great attributes about humans to compliment people on besides appearance. Um, And so I think when, if you're on the end of some sort of criticism, look at it, take the emotion out of it, which is so much hard, like easier said than done. Like it's, it's incredibly hard, but is this a real criticism? Like, is this constructive? Is this designed, no matter how they said it, is it out of a place of love or a place of trying to help? Or is it just mean-spirited and it's more of a reflection of the person who's saying it? Because the comments that I receive, nine times out of ten, have to come from a place of self-loathing. And I think that fat phobia is such a real thing in a lot of people's minds and that they a lot of the hate comments that I receive have to do with my size or my looks and they're just really based on appearance and I think it speaks more to um someone saying you know 
here's this woman, she's larger than other women, or she's this dress size, and she's confident and she's happy, but I'm not. Like, yeah. how dare you, you know? And you're right, I am confident, I'm beautiful. Like, I'm also fat, but I think it is difficult when those mean-spirited comments come in, especially um, the amount that I get, to fall into a pit of, well, everyone hates me then. Yeah. But for me, I think they're hilarious. I've gotten to the point in my life where I just screenshot them and send them to my friends yeah. because they're so ridiculous. Totally. Um, but I can see how someone who is younger, more impressionable, not as sure of themselves, um, kind of coming into their own and seeing how comments like those on TikTok and Instagram, Instagram could be very detrimental to someone's for sure mental health and growth and maturity. So um, I think at the end of the day, you always got to protect yourself. If there's a source that is constant stream of criticism, blocking and muting and removing as a friend is a wonderful thing. And people think it's some big thing. Like, well, I can't unfriend. You can, yeah. you can unfriend them. It's not the end of the world. For sure. And life is too short for living in a negative place. Totally. So in a society where it's almost the norm to feel insecure about who you are and even body shame ourselves, like you're just displaying how much of a bright light you are when it comes to self-love and body inclusivity. Where do you draw your strength from? And if anybody's listening who's struggling with, with those insecurities, what would you tell them? Um, I would say that life is too short. Um, working in news, you know, I see that every day that lives end and natural disasters happen and we lose people every day all the time. And you never know when your time is up. And it would scare me to spend the small blank that we have on this earth to hate myself for the duration of that time. Like that is not fun or happy or making the most of, of your time. And um, I think that there is such an emphasis because of, you know, the economy and capitalism and whatever you want to call it. There's such an emphasis where, you know, you have to fit into your clothes, but the clothes have to fit you. Like at the end of the day, it's about you feeling confident and it's not about a tag. It's not about a number on a scale or, or a dress size. It's about how you feel and you look and to yourself. I think it took me a long time to come to the realization of the fact that life is too short to just be negative and internally having that negative narrator in your voice picking apart your appearance every day. Um, I've been super open about the fact that I struggled with eating disorders through um, high school and into my young adult life. And I mean, I still have, because those brain pathways have been created, I still struggle with the narration part of um, disordered eating and it's, I'm going to struggle with it my whole life. Cause that's just what it is now. Right. Um, but those voices is, are, are so negative and society, you know, I grew up with the era of like very skinny, Nicole Richie and like Lindsay Lohan and yep. those, and the Olsen twins where like the thinner, the more skeletal, the more beautiful. And it was very hard growing up as a stout Ukrainian girl where all my relatives are five foot nothing and round. That's just what we look like being Ukrainian. Um, It was so hard to like not look like the girls on the cover of 
15 people. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I fell into the trap of, of disordered eating and, um, I got help and, and, um, recovered and, but it still, even after that took me a long time to not be embarrassed of myself and not want to cover up and wear baggy clothes and think it was some big secret that I was fat. Like no one actually knows if I dress this one way, but at the end of the day, like you are who you are, like it's no secret and you wearing a baggy sweater, like people still know what you look like. And that's not a bad thing, but I, I couldn't, I've never been the kind of person to live in the shadows. Like clearly I've talked this whole podcast about how I love to perform and be in the spotlight. So me living in the shadows of being embarrassed of my size and shape was never really in the cards for me as a long term life uh, position because I'm always going to want to shine. And I, who am I to hide? I can't sit down and be quiet for five minutes. So um, (laughs) I, uh, I think it took me a long time to get to the point of loving myself. But really, when the body positivity movement was kind of getting started, it, of course, started with um, women of color and loving their bodies. And then it kind of grew into a larger um, inclusive movement and a lot more people, men, women, non-binary folk were kind of just saying that, you know, it's okay to love your body and not be self-deprecating and not be negative. And that was kind of going on when I was in university. And at the time I was kind of like thinking it was a bit cringy um, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, Oh my gosh, body positive. Like the name just sounded like embarrassing or something. I don't know. But the more I grew up and I realized, you know, why am I worried about, making other people uncomfortable with my size. Like why am I embarrassed to ask for the extra large t-shirt when all my friends are asking for the smalls? Like I'm more worried about my friends being uncomfortable or the asso- the retail associates being uncomfortable, yeah. but why? Yeah. Like literally why? Right. And so when you sit with yourself and ask that question, like, but I wear the extra, like the- if they hand me a small, they know it's not going to fit. I know it's not going to fit. Like, yeah. How are we any further ahead? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I've just, I've really made it a mission. I don't want any other young women to go through what I went through where you don't feel like you're enough, that you struggled with disordered eating, you damage your health, your body, your mental health, um, all because you didn't have any role models or representation in anyone to look to that was happy and beautiful and, and living their best life. And so if I can be that, for some other little girl, then I'll continue to be that role. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm honored to be. Awesome. So wrapping up, what's the future look like for Alex and what are you most looking forward to right now? So truthfully, I am ready to put down roots and stay in Saskatchewan. I have done so much moving around. Um, I have lived the dream. I have, you know, done different jobs and moved to bigger cities. But at the end of the day, Saskatchewan has always been calling my name. Um, You know, I keep coming back to it and I need to listen to what the universe is telling me and (laughs) that I am happiest in this province. The people I'm closest with, like my chosen family is here in this province. The, you know, I love the communities. I obviously am not from Saskatoon, but that's where I'm living now. And I've truly grown to love this city. Regina will always have my heart because you know born and raised but it's such a quick drive right here right now 
Um, future Alex is staying in Saskatchewan. Would you know? Love to continue on the morning show game um, as long as I'm a single person and I don't have any babies right now. I think it's such a great fit for me. Right. I can't speak to once I have newborns and and get married and have a family and I'm juggling schedules. I mean that can always change, and I know a lot of people struggle with. Um, balancing a family and morning show and they end up going into the evening shows. So who knows um, what show I may end up in, but I love broadcasting. I like sending people into their day with a smile and a laugh. Um, And I love Saskatchewan and I just want to live my, keep living my best life here. And I know a lot of people can be like, but do you really want to get to Toronto? Like what's your, your end goal? And I'm like, I'm living it. Like I am, you know, I am a host of a really fantastic show and in the home province that I love. I think even if I got some big national gig, I'd always be flying back to Saskatchewan on my vacation time. Right. Like this is where my life is. Yeah. And uh, keep living this life that I'm so lucky to be living. Oh, awesome. So this this career path has taken you th- from city to city. So what has it been like for you to jump around Canada and calling places like Regina, Toronto, Winnipeg, and now Saskatoon home? It has been a crazy life. I'll tell you that much for free. I think um, because I moved as a kid, I find it a lot easier to move as an adult. And I find it easier to create a community and create a circle of friends kind of wherever I go. um, Because I had to do that at a pivotal preteen age and so by no means do I love moving it is one of the most stressful times that I'm so lucky that I have a dad who will fly across Canada wherever I am and move me um, time and time again Um, but I think uh, it's 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 been good for me because it's shown me what I like what I don't like Um, any, I never want to live a life with what ifs. I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, well, what if I had taken that job or what if I had lived in this place? And so I've, I've taken those opportunities and explored them and seen if they were for me, if they weren't for me and what aspects of them that I loved or didn't love. And so it's all about at the end of the day, a self journey and self exploration. I'm still a terrible packer and I have (laughs) by no means gotten any better of it or downsized any of my stuff. I still fill up an entire moving truck. Um, but I think they've all been such important moves because it's taught me more about myself. Totally. And so have you had to like rent places or cause it's pretty common Mm -hmm. in newscasting, right. To, to kind of jump around from places to places as different opportunities come up. So what do you do from like a owning a house point of view of like a financial institution who you bank with, something like that? What do you have to keep in mind? Um, Yeah, I've never owned a house because I'm a journalist. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah, I've always been a renter, um, which has made things easier for me, especially in the industry that I'm in, where I'm able to... um, jump around and not be tied down. Um, and I think it's always important to, for me to check, double check and triple check the terms of each lease and make sure that it is something, if I get an opportunity or I have to leave or something of that nature that I'm able to move on, or if I have to sublet or if I have to, you know, whatever I've had the most luck with renting 
from people who own a condo unit, say, like they say they're a family and they just moved on, but they still have this condo from when they were single or something. Um, I've had the most luck have, and it's more, um, personal and one-on-one than it is a company renting from a company. Um, but I think for me, it's always important to check that if I have to go somewhere or get another opportunity that I don't have a lot of things holding me down. But my next step now that I am looking forward to putting down roots in Saskatchewan will be first time home buying, which I am totally intimidated by and I don't know anything about. So eventually at some point that'll be the dream. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Okay, let's cut to commercial or something that's a little bit more valuable, I think. Alex's line of work has required her to do a lot of moving around Canada, and it can be tricky to establish a rhythm, particularly with your financial well-being when you're moving from city to city. To help gain some advice on how to navigate this, I reached out to Connectus's number one Taylor Swift fan, Len Gertz, who is a financial service representative at our West Landing branch, and I asked him, if someone is looking at moving or is frequently moving like Alex does, what things should they keep in mind when managing their financial well-being? Here's what he had to say. Thanks, Mason. I'd love to speak on that. So when we look at something like financial well-being, we like to break it down into bite-sized pieces into something we call financial health indicators. Financial health indicators can be broken into small or long-term goals, but one that specifically relates back to moving or frequently moving is something we call $2,000 in emergency funds. And what that means is that we will always have access to up to $2,000 in the event that something arrives that we did not plan for. And when you're moving, there's constantly moving parts that come up into play. So we strongly advise that we have these finances available to us in the event that there's extra connection fees or our internet isn't set up in time and we have to go over on our data on our phone. There's also the um, occasion where we excessively eat out because we're bouncing from place to place. All these different parts can move into needing that extra access to those funds. And that's something I would definitely recommend looking into before you're moving or if you're moving a lot. Hey, thanks, Len. Moving to a new city is intimidating. So make sure you're taking your steps to help ride your financial well-being through the chaos by talking to your financial advisor before you start packing boxes. All right, Alex is about to bring this interview home with some hard-earned perspective. So let's get back to the conversation. Last question before we jump into some speed run questions. Reflecting back on your first steps as a broadcaster, what are some of the key learnings about yourself along the way? Um, I think it, it took a long time to really understand how I best operate. Um, I think when you're entering the workforce out of being a student, um, it's a lot of trial and error and figuring out what works for you um, and tr- not trying to um, keep up with others or compare yourself to others or your classmates or your friends. Um, everyone's journey is their own. Um, and I think saying yes to any opportunities, even if it means coming in on your day off to shadow someone or going out of your way and taking initiative because you're passionate speaks volumes. Yeah. And I think sticking to your guns and your gut like your gut feeling is always the first and best indicator. And if something doesn't feel right, um, then you, you know, in your heart of hearts, what you, what you need to do. And so I think as a young person entering broadcasting and entering the workforce, um, you're scared to say no, and you're scared to upset anyone. And you, you know, you kind of see, I don't know if you were the same way, but like coming out of school and going into the workforce, like, it's almost like seeing like bosses or coworkers as like, teachers and being like, I don't want to get in trouble. And it's like, 
you're in work now. Like right. what are you, it's not trouble, yeah. that, like, you know, that you're going to get into. So, um, I think I was always just panicked about like letting people down and, and, um, and failing, but really failure is how you learn. And I think not being scared to fail and make mistakes. Cause really like you'll never forget the time you really messed up the white balance on the camera and you brought all your footage back and it was blue. Right. You learn. Then every time you pick up the camera, you know, to check the white balance. Cause you did that. Right. Once. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So before we let you go, I have some other questions to ask you some speed round questions uh, to connect Let's with you it. in a different way. All right. So first question, you mentioned that you were a theater kid. What's mm -hmm. your favorite musical? Um, off the cuff, I want to say Les Mis. Okay. Um, but up there would also be Phantom of the Opera. Oh, so you like the and... classics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Favorite line from Anchorman. I know you stand the show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I stand it. And we quote it literally every day. <laughs> I don't know which one to pick. Yeah. Favorite line. Um, I think <laughs> it's a very small line, but we say it all the time where we go, I'm on right now. I don't believe you. <laughs> we, um, Mike Siona and myself quote Anchorman to everyone's annoyance all day, every day. It doesn't stop. Yeah. And we say literally every sentence in that movie and we always get laughing. So as you should, like it's the perfect context to quote it if you are on it the is. air as well. So that's great. Yeah. Biggest difference between Regina and Saskatoon that you find? Regina seems a little bit more, um, like a cozy quilt that your grandma made you and you it's been passed down for generations and you love it and it's great whereas I feel like Saskatoon is like um it reminds me kind of of like Winnipeg and like Calgary kind of like it has this like kind of cosmopolitan feel to it in that I think it's the river to be honest. Right. I think it's like the bridges in the river. Um, so it feels to me, I think it's difficult because to me it feels new and flashier, yeah. but I bet if I had, if I was born here, I would be comparing it to grandma's quilt. Right, but right, right. I just feel that way about Regina because I go home and I drive past like, Oh, that's where, you know, I had my first kiss or <laughs> yeah. that's where I walked home and I fell and scraped my knee. Like I just see it as such this like, cozy quilt that like keeps me warm and that I'll keep forever like yeah. that's what Regina means to me you just described like a Hallmark Christmas movie where like Saskatoon <laughs> is like where they're operating but then they go home to like to yeah, Regina that's truly yeah, yeah correct oh that's awesome <laughs> uh next question a recent life hack that you've just discovered Oh, um, you know, if a, <laughs> this is like not exciting at all, but you know, if you don't have the right size screwdriver, um, you can put like an elastic band around the head part of the screwdriver. And like, if you've stripped a screw or if the screwdriver is too small and like the rubber of the elastic band, like helps to grip you turning <laughs> the screw. <laughs> I'm having so much trouble. I'm not a handy person whatsoever. So the moment that we, we we introduced the elastic band, I'm like, what? Where do I picture this? Okay. You know how sometimes like screws can be like stripped? Yeah. Like they, in that, like your screwdriver just does, it just turns and turns and turns like nothing ever happens. Yeah. So if you like take an elastic band, I want everyone at home to know that I'm doing a visual demonstration that no one else can see, but Mason, <laughs> you like take an elastic band and you put it around the head of the screwdriver 
And then when you screw it, it like gives it a little bit of grip Grip. to it because the rubber of the rubber band like helps to keep it in place. And it makes so much more sense rather than just (laughs) no resistance at all. So it doesn't screw up. Awesome. Wow. I wish I had a better life hack, but I use that one. That's important. Like, look at us. We are, we have solved tech issues today. We are handy people now. Exactly. Look at us living our best life. Call on me for any repairs. (laughs) Don't call on me. I'm useless. Uh, the last time you cried at a movie? Uh, probably recently. Um, I'm a big crier yeah. always. I'm trying to think of what it would have been. <laughs> My big crying movie is Brokeback Mountain, and I have the special <laughs> edition DVD. And every time I watch it, my face gets so swollen yeah. that my eyes are like little pinpricks for like a day to the point where my roommates in university had to take my DVD away from me because they're like you're cut off like you cannot watch this movie if you're not down like you're down for the count for two days after like I agree with you but it's the saddest movie in the history of cinema (laughs) I just picture you like holding on to it they're like ripping it away from you Alex no we're we're hiding this from you because you cry too much oh that's awesome broke back mountain hey um, yeah, I, I've got the collector's edition. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. It is. Last question. What connects us? When I hear what connects us, I think of the word community. And within the word community, um, the word cloud I'm seeing is love and respect and support and caring because I think Saskatchewan is its own community even though we are a massive province with a you know a great diverse population at the end of the day I feel that the entire province is a community and what connects us is the pride in our province and the support and love that we have for one another and the never-ending support of our own Saskatchewan people. Totally. Oh, that's such a great one. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking some time today. We talked a lot about representation and throughout this interview, I just felt like you are doing such a great job of representing for so many different people, whether that is in the mental health spectrum, body positivity, just newscasters, or just people and just somebody to aspire to just with showing up with authenticity and kindness for others. So when we talk earlier about how someone is messaging the news station saying that you're not representing who people should be like, that's, that's a load of BS because I think that you are just showing people, whether that's a little boy and girl at home or just people listening to this podcast that it's a level of safety to be who they are and pursue their dreams in that aspect. So thank you for taking, taking some time and sharing some lessons learned along the way, the perspectives in broadcasting, but also just being a shining example of how to be a good human. Mason, you made my whole day. I'm going to go into my nap and just be smiling ear to ear and not get my full three hours because I'm going to be just so happy. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for setting an example of how to troubleshoot tech issues earlier today. I think we can we can both <laughs> leave this interview feeling very proud of ourselves for, for being I able to... I am mortified, not <laughs> proud at all. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Alex. Thank you.
Well, that's it for our chat with Alex and for this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode, but until then, if you like the podcast and you want to support it, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button, leave a review of the podcast, and share the podcast with a friend or on social media. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, I'm off to watch Anchorman. Stay classy, Saskatchewan.